Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Epic. So glad that you're with us today. If you're new with us, my name is Trent. I am one of the pastors on staff here. And as Tim said, we are in part three of our series, Words to Live By. And I want to begin by just saying, hey, thanks to those of you who were praying for me last week. Last week, I wasn't feeling well in our services, and I needed your prayers to get to the end of those. So I am feeling much better. And I understand this week that there are others not feeling well and maybe picked up some cooties along the way. So maybe we should all just kind of do the knuckle punch today instead of the handshake and you know all that stuff. So just kind of keep our cooties to ourselves. Hopefully everybody will feel a little bit better. But as we're in this series here, what I've been trying to do is I've been trying to challenge all of us to identify a word or a phrase that we could focus on all year long. It's a word or a phrase that can help us learn to live a little bit more like Jesus. It's something that maybe can help us overcome something that's holding us back in life. It's a word or a phrase that when we speak it, it has the ability to remind us of the truth that we need to know in our lives in that moment. And so as we started this series, we looked at the words, but God. And we learned that but God means that God can do what we can't do or what we think can't be done. And all throughout scripture, you see the words, but God. And those words follow when many people said, but I can't do this, but I'm afraid, but I'm doubtful. And then those two words, but God come in and remind us that God can do what we think we can't do or what we think can't be done. And then last week, we looked at my word for the year. Anybody remember that word? More. more. Yes, more. So that word is based upon what John the Baptist said in John 3.30. And he said, Jesus must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. So I've adapted that for my own life. And this past week, I have said on more occasions than I, I wish to admit that Jesus must become greater and greater. It must be more of him and less of me. And again, I've had lots of opportunities to practice that when I've been prideful or when I've been jealous or when I've been insecure. And the word more helps remind me of how to allow Jesus to work more and more in my life. Last week, we also started our two-week fast where we're giving up something physical to gain something spiritual. And I'm just curious, how's everybody doing? How are you doing on your fast? Good. There's three people that are doing good. Everybody else is doing terrible. Uh, in our first several services, we had mixture of reviews. There was some like, good, and then some like, oh, not so great. So I understand that fasting can be a very challenging thing. It's something that we have to learn how to do, and, and so we've been doing this uh, in the life of our church every year as we start the new year, and it's something we learn year after year, and so I know it can be challenging, I know it can be hard, but it can be very rewarding as we continue to learn how to do that, and every time we walk through a fast, I'm reminded of some things that I tend to forget about when I'm not fasting, so when I am fasting, I am reminded how much my life revolves around food. And I have found that I am a fan of food. I just like food. It's great. I love to, to see it. I love to touch it. I love to smell it. I love to taste it. I like what happens when it goes down my throat. Anybody else like food like I do? Yeah. Most of us should like food. But as I'm giving up food during this fast... Uh, I'm reminded 
that sometimes that can get out of balance in my life. Sometimes I dream about food, I desire food, I pursue food more than I pursue God. So fasting helps me to say, you know what, things are a little bit out of priority and I need to have God first. I need to pursue God more than I pursue food. And fasting can help that happen in my own life. Another thing that often happens when I'm engaged in a fast is I find sometimes that I am more sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. There are moments the Holy Spirit's whispering to me, and when I'm fasting, like I just hear it loud and clear, and I want to respond immediately to what he's telling me to do. And then there are t- other times outside of fasting where I'm trying to hear from God, and it, it kind of feels like I got my fingers in my ear or something. Like, I'm trying to hear from him. I know he's speaking, but there are moments that I'm not hearing real clearly. Fasting helps me to hear from the Lord a little bit more clearly. So if you are in a season where you're saying like, hey, I would like to hear from God. I'd like God to speak to me clearly about some situation that you're going through. If you haven't, I encourage you to spend some time fasting. Spend some time fasting and praying and see how God might speak to you in a season of fasting. So again, it can be a challenging thing, but a lot of great things can come from it. So I encourage those of you who've been fasting with us this past week to keep going. And if you're new with us, I invite you to join us in this fast. We've got a fasting preparation guide on our website that can give you some information about that and help you get prepared for how to engage a fast really well. And if you have this past week, let's just say that maybe you uh, slipped up in some way in your fast, don't, don't quit, don't give up. Just make an adjustment and keep going. Again, this is about us learning how to apply this ancient spiritual discipline to our lives, and it takes some time for us to do that. Now, today, as we continue on in our series, we're going to be looking at another word that some of you might need to focus on, and it's a word that comes from an amazing Bible story that we're going to look at today, and I think today's word just might be the word for some of you. You maybe have been searching for a word for you this year and you haven't found it yet. And I think just maybe today's word will be your word because I think maybe you can identify with what we're gonna learn from the Bible characters in this story that we're gonna look at. And so what I encourage you to do is try to put yourself into this story. One of the greatest ways to read scripture is try to identify with a character in the story and try to think like, what would I be thinking if I were them? If I was in that spot, if I was going through that, what would be going through my mind in that moment? And so we're going to do a lot of that today. And I encourage you to try to identify with one of these characters and and see what they might be thinking. And I encourage you, if you aren't a Christ follower, to pay close attention to Jesus and what he does in the story how he treats people in this story. Because it's going to be interesting. As we start reading this, we're going to see that this actually isn't one story. There's actually two stories. There's a primary story and there's a secondary story. And we're going to learn that with Jesus, there's no such thing as a secondary story. All stories are primary stories to him. Even your story is a primary story to Jesus. So pay attention to what Jesus does and how he interacts with these people. We'll be in Mark chapter five. For those of you, if you have a Bible with you, you want to flip open to that or if you want to pull that up on your smartphone and for everybody else, the verses will come up on the screens. So Mark chapter five, verse 21, it says this. 
Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so that she can live. And Jesus went with him. And all the people followed, crowding around him. Verse 25 says, A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had not gotten any better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe, for she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. So that's an introduction to our story today, an introduction to the two stories that are intertwined, and an introduction to this word that both of these characters in this story are holding on to. So our primary story is about a religious leader in that Jewish community. His name is Jairus. His daughter is dying. He's in a desperate situation, and he's hoping that Jesus can heal his daughter. Our secondary story is about a very poor woman who's living probably outside of their community, and she's broke, has no money, she's been dealing with this health issue for 12 years, and that, there's an interesting tension between those two characters, who they are and what their story is, and the same word that they are holding on to. So I want to start with this woman that we don't know her name. All we know is this illness that she's had, uh, that she's been battling for the past 12 years. And, and I want you to think for just a little bit about what this would mean for her. So for her, there would never be a day that she wakes up feeling good. There would never be a day that she wakes up feeling like she has the energy to face the challenges of her day. There would never be a moment like that for her. She's spent all of her money trying to get better, and she's gotten worse, and now she's broke. So she not only is facing health challenges and financial challenges, she's also facing uh, uh, relational challenges and spiritual challenges. So for her, in the culture that she lived, having that bleeding issue would make her what's called unclean. She would be labeled unclean by the, the, the people in her community, and that would force her to have to live outside of that community because if you were unclean, you could not be around anybody else who was clean. Nobody else wanted you around. Everybody else was afraid if they touched you or something that you owned, they would be unclean as well. They would get what you have, and so you would be forced outside of your community. She might have lived outside of her community by herself. There may have been a few other people out there with her that were unclean, and we're not sure. But just imagine being her. Imagine if she had a family. We're not sure if she has a family, but imagine if she does. She couldn't be comforted by her husband. She could never tuck her kids in bed at night. She could never pick her kids up if they fell down and scraped their knee. Again, she is a desperate woman in a desperate situation. And some of you this morning might be able to identify with her. Maybe you don't identify with all of her story, but maybe you identify with her desperation of where she was at because maybe you're desperate. 
Maybe you're desperate for God to work in your life, in your situation, in your health, in your financial spot or, or whatever. Like maybe you're in a desperate spot this morning. That's where this woman is. She's desperate for God to do something and she thinks if I can just touch Jesus' robe, like I, I'll be healed. So she engages the crowd, kind of maneuvers her way through the crowd and comes up behind Jesus to touch his robe. Now, this past year, actually a year ago, uh, January, about this same time, there was a group of us that went to Israel together. And we had an amazing experience there. And, and while we were there, we got to visit the ancient city of Magdala. And while in Magdala, we got to go into a church that had in one of the rooms in that church this painting, Take a look at this painting. It's called Encounter. And it's not as impressive on the screens that we have here, but in that room, it's larger. It's on a majority of the wall that, that's in that room. It's just a mesmerizing picture, and it just communicates so much to me. So as I went into that room and saw this, like I felt like I could sit there for several hours just kind of contemplating all that this picture means because the artist captures the moment that this woman touches Jesus' robe and has an encounter. You've got these other feet around Jesus and everybody's kind of pressing in on him. They're, they're, they're following him. They're trying to see what he's gonna do. But this woman has an encounter. See, I think it's, there, there's, a, there's a difference between wanting to see what Jesus is gonna do and having an encounter with him. And this woman has an encounter. The archaeologists in uh, Israel, some archaeologists in Israel, found a first century road that was in that community, and they transplanted that road into that room that we were in, and they made that the floor of the room that we were in. So as we were standing there, staring at this picture, the reality was we could have been standing on the road where that event happened. Like, wow, for me, that was just like, oh my goodness, it was just amazing to absorb all that stuff. And one of the things I encourage you to do is if you ever get a chance to go to Israel, I encourage you to go. You will never read your Bible the same way again, I guarantee it. And we're actually going to Israel in January 2020. So next year, if you want to go with us, there's information on our website about that. You will never regret that. But let's think for a moment what it meant for this woman to do this. This woman should not have been in that circle, in that crowd. She should not have been in that community that day. It was actually illegal for her. She was breaking the law. And if she got caught, she could be severely punished or she could be killed. Like, like this is a really big deal. Now, this isn't just she's going to just maybe touch anybody. She's going in to touch the rabbi. She's going in to touch uh, one of the prominent religious leaders. This is Jesus that everybody's following. So this would have been a very big deal if she got caught. But again, she's desperate. So she reaches out and she touches Jesus' robe. In verse 29, it says, immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of this terrible condition and Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? 
But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Verse 33. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told her what she had done. So let's just imagine what that moment must have been like for her. She shouldn't have been there. She shouldn't have touched Jesus. She shouldn't have gotten caught. But she got caught. And she's scared to death. The English Standard Version of the Bible translates verse 33 as this. It says, But the woman knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. I wonder for this woman what that meant. I wonder what the whole truth meant. I wonder if she talked about all of her years of waking up every morning just feeling wiped out and exhausted I wonder if she talked about all the money that she had spent, just hoping that that somebody could help her, but nobody could. I wonder if she talked about the years of rejection she received from her community, maybe even from some of her family members. I wonder if she talked about the moments of fear that she had, the moments of depression and despair that she had given into. I wonder if she talked about hopelessness. I wonder if she talked about the moment she was tempted to give up on God because he just wasn't working in her situation. And I wonder if she talked about moments where she might have been tempted to end her life. Like, I wonder what the whole truth meant for her in, in this scenario. Like we're not really sure. But Jesus created this space for her. He wouldn't let her just come in, touch his robe, and then shrink back into the crowd and then just go on with her life. Like he created a space for her to tell him the whole truth. And even though she was in this crowd of people, I wonder if for her it felt like it was just her and him, just the two of them having an encounter as she kind of just vomits out all that she's been through. And Jesus lets her do that. I think that's one of the things that that Jesus loves to do with us is create moments, create spaces for us to just kind of vomit out like what we've been going through, what's been on our heart, like what's, what's been like burdening us for so long. And I wonder for you this morning if Jesus might want to create that space for you here, like maybe today, like right now, for you to kind of start telling him what's been the whole truth in your story. Like maybe you're afraid. Maybe you've just been so burdened for so long with what you're walking through, like you're tempted to give up hope. Maybe you've experienced rejection in your life because of whatever this is that you're going through. Maybe you've been tempted to give up on God and you've you've found yourself full of despair and doubt. Like, What might be the whole truth for you in your situation? And I wonder if in telling the whole truth, this woman received more than just a physical healing. I wonder if she received an emotional healing and a, a spiritual healing in, in her heart as well. I mean, think about what this meant for her. She would now be clean. Like her whole world would change. She could go home. She could go to work. She could spend time with family and friends. She could go to church. She could go to parties. Like her whole life would be different. Her faith in God, I think, would be radically different after this encounter she had with Jesus. 
And so I really wonder, like, what was Jesus trying to do in that moment, creating a space? I think maybe he was trying to heal something deeper inside of her that couldn't be touched just on the surface if he just did a physical healing. So here's what I've come to understand. God is often more concerned about our inner healing than just our outer healing. So is God concerned with healing us physically? Yes, I believe that. I think you see that in scripture. Is God also concerned? Is God sometimes more concerned with healing something deep within inside of us that maybe just a physical healing wouldn't touch? Yes, I think that's true. And I think that sometimes God allows diseases and illness and difficulty and pain to happen in our lives because it's through that that he can reach to deeper parts of who we are. I know that's not a popular teaching. I know there are pastors out there who will disagree with me. I know there are people who say, I don't want to believe that. I don't want to hear that. I reject that thought. But I see it all throughout scripture. And I think we're seeing it here in this moment. I think we're seeing it in this story. So often there's something deeper that God wants to do inside of us. There's a deeper healing that can happen. And it happens through the difficulty, through the pain, and through the sorrow. So after this woman told Jesus the whole truth in verse 34, Jesus said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. I wonder when the last time anybody ever called her daughter was. That's a term of endearment. For the past 12 years in her life, all she's heard is, get away from me, you're unclean. She's heard rejection. And yet Jesus uses a term of endearment that draws her in and doesn't push her away. This woman's hope had become realized in Jesus and what Jesus had done for her and what Jesus could do for her. And that's the end of what we know of her story. So her story kind of ends there. Her life continues on, but what we know of scripture kind of ends there for her. But do you remember our primary story? Our primary story was about Jairus and his daughter. So imagine what he's kind of thinking in this moment. Like, kind of put yourself in that spot, okay? So we're urgent. We come to Jesus. Jesus, we need you. My daughter's dying. Come now. Jesus turns and comes, and then he gets interrupted by this homeless woman, this unclean woman who is breaking the law, who should not even have been in that community in that moment. Here she is trying to touch Jesus, and Jesus makes space for her. I, I wonder what he's thinking. I wonder if, if Jairus is thinking like, Jesus, what are you doing? Like, my daughter needs you now. And you're stopping to interact with this nobody? But again, in the kingdom of God, all stories are primary stories to him. Your story is a primary story to God. And I think that, that Jesus was communicating to Jairus and the whole community. I think he was kind of saying like, listen, Jairus, I know that your daughter is in need, but I have another daughter who's in need and she needs to know she's somebody. I'll get to your daughter in just a minute. But first, I need to communicate something powerful to this woman about hope. So again, we're not sure what was going on in Jairus' mind, but just put yourself in that spot. What would you be thinking? Verse 35 gets a little bit worse. 
It says, while Jesus was speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. So what would you think if you were in that spot? I'd love to hear from you. If you're Jairus, you get this message, your daughter's now dead. What are you thinking about? Jesus, this whole situation, what's going through your mind? Anger. Anger. I'd be angry. Disappointment. Disappointment. Yep. Sadness. Sadness. Hopelessness. Hopelessness. Yeah. Selfish. Selfish, that that was selfish. Yeah, I, I, I think we can all identify with what Jairus might have been feeling and thinking in that moment. Like, Jesus, really? Like, you could have healed her tomorrow. She's had this for 12 years. My daughter is dying now. Like, she needs you now. And you pause to do this, and now it's too late. Like, don't even bother. Like, it's okay. Like, whatever. You were doing your thing. That's all right. But Jesus overhears this. In verse 36, he says, don't be afraid. He says to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith. Now, to me, that sounds like that nice Christian answer for when somebody's going through something difficult, you know, that like cheesy answer, like, hey, sucks to be you, but just have faith. Like, you know, God will do something. I don't know what it is. I'm glad I'm not you, but God will do something. It sounds like that's what Jesus is saying, but that's not what he's saying. I think Jesus was referencing Hebrews chapter 11, verse one. It tells us what faith means. It gives us a definition. So listen to this definition, faith. Faith is the confidence that what we, what are those two next words? Hope for. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It's confidence that what we hope for will actually happen and gives us assurance about things that we cannot see. So faith is based on hope. And it's not a hope that's like wishful, like I think Jesus can heal. I think Jesus can work in my situation. I hope he can. I'm not sure. I'm a little bit doubtful. That's not what faith means to Jesus. And that's not what hope means either. So I want you to listen to these two different statements that are going to come up on the screen. See if you can identify with one that maybe you say more than another. One says, I hope Jesus can help me. And the other says, my hope is in Jesus to help me. Do you hear the difference between those two statements? They're very different. One is a doubtful wish. The other is a confident expectation of what God is going to do. And so God wants us to have that kind of faith, to have that kind of hope. And that's what Jesus says to Jairus, have faith. Verse 37 says, then Jesus stopped the crowd, wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying, holding her hand. He said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. And they were overwhelmed and completely amazed. Do you think... Like, do you think if you were in that spot, if your daughter died and then Jesus brought her back to life, you would be overwhelmed and completely amazed? Yeah, I think we all would be. 
And then Jesus tells them this strange thing in the next verse. He says, it says, Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what happened. Do you think they followed his orders? I don't think they did. I think they immediately disobeyed him and went out and told everybody. I mean, the whole community knew what was happening. The whole community was there following Jesus to see what was going to happen. And then they see this girl. She's come back to life again. So we've got these two amazing stories that are you know, very different people. These stories that are intertwined with this common word of hope. And both of these people in these stories learn that hope has a different definition than what many of us think hope really means. So for some of you, maybe your word this year needs to be hope. And it's not just a wishful doubt. Or like, I, I kind of hope God does something this year, but I'm not really sure. Your hope this year should be in the one who can bring you eternal hope. Our hope should be in the confidence, knowing that God can do what only God can do in our situation. And so maybe this year, every time you're tempted to give up on God, every time you're tempted to, to give into despair, give into depression, give into hopelessness, maybe you need to pull out that word and just say, my hope is in God and God alone. My hope is in Jesus who can help me. Maybe that's how you need to use the word hope this year. Let me tell you about a couple in our church who's been using that word the past few years in their lives. There's a, a couple in our church by the name of David and Melinda. You're going to see a picture of them here in just a minute. And they've been coming for the past several years. And Melinda has been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. She's battled for a little while now. The doctors have told her that after all the treatments that they've done, if this last treatment doesn't work, that she has a couple of months to live. So put yourself in her spot. Put yourself in David's spot. Like, what would you be thinking? What would you be feeling? Would you be tempted to give in to depression or despair or hopelessness and walk away from God? Some people would. That's not what's happening for them. That's not what's happening in their story. This is an amazing story. Their faith has come alive since this diagnosis and what they're walking through. Like, it is amazing. And I've had the privilege to kind of walk alongside of them in this journey. And it's been a real honor to hear them. And I asked them, I was in the hospital recently and I asked her, I said, listen, why aren't you tempted to walk away from God in this? Like you're looking really at the end of of life. If, If God doesn't step in and do something. And she said, why would I turn away from the only one who can heal me? Why would I turn away from the only one who can save me? That makes no sense. And then she said, if, if, I get healed now, or I get healed in eternity. Either way, I'm going to be healed, and either way, I win. So why would I turn away from a God like that who would help me win in this scenario? And we were having such a great conversation. When I came in to see her, I'm looking at her in the bed, and I'm going, like, where's the sick person? Like, I'm not sure where the sick person is. She was so passionate about what God is doing in her life. She was so excited about that. The nurse came running in saying, are you okay? Just, I saw out here on the machines that your heart rate was up and your pulse was up. I'm like, is everything okay? And she's like, everything's great. I'm just talking about Jesus. And she's so excited about the many opportunities that God has given her to tell other people about Jesus through this disease. Now, her hope is in Christ. 
in Christ alone, whether he heals her now or he heals her in eternity. And what I'm going to ask us to do as a church family, something we did in our first two services, is we're going to pray for David and Melinda and pray for God to heal her. And in addition to that, my challenge to us is that we would learn from their example, that we would learn and follow what they're doing. Like their faith has come alive in this situation. And I don't know what situation you're in. I don't know what difficulty you may be facing, but your faith can come alive in the midst of it. And we can learn from what David and Melinda are doing and what hope means to them and what hope meant to Jesus and what hope should mean to all of us. So as we close today, I'm gonna encourage you to do what we did last week. Actually, I'm gonna encourage those who weren't here last week to do what we did last week. So on your seat is a card that says, my word to live by 2019. If you weren't with us last week, what I encourage you to do is write your word down. A word that you think or a phrase that you think might be something that'll help you this year move forward in your relationship with God that you need to focus on all year long. And you can write your name on it if you want to. On the backside, you can write a prayer request if you'd like. And I encourage you on your way out, as you're walking out on the right-hand side, there's two tables over there. I encourage you to leave your card there. And then look around at the table. Pick up somebody else's card. Spend some time this week praying and fasting for that person that you picked this card up for and for yourself as well. Everybody that did that last week, you should have a card And it's just been a real privilege to be praying for a number of you this past week in the thing that you need to focus on in your life. And if you need more information about fasting and you want to join us this week in fasting, go to our website, theepicchurch.com, and we have a fasting preparation guide that's tied to these messages. So if you find one of our messages, then you'll be able to find that uh, document as well. Now, in just a minute, our worship team is going to come out, and they're going to close us today with a song called Living Hope. And during this song, we are going to just kind of be reminded that our only hope is in Christ and Christ alone. And during this song, what I encourage you to do is several things. One is I encourage, we're all going to be praying for David and Melinda. But in addition to that, I encourage you to maybe spend some time telling Jesus the whole truth. What's the whole truth for you? Like, what do you need to, to tell him? What have you been holding back? Like maybe you've told Jesus 80% of the truth or 90% of the truth and yet there's still something that you're holding back. And maybe this morning you need to look at what your hope is in. Maybe you've put your hope in the wrong thing. Today we all need to be reminded that our hope should only be in Christ and Christ alone because he's the only one who can bring us eternal hope. Next week we're going to end our series together through a time of of communion. Uh, So we'll end our fast with a time of communion together. And so I hope you'll come for that and be a part of that. It's a special time as we end our season of fasting together. So if you would, stand with me and let's pray and then let's sing. God, we're so grateful for these Bible stories that we've been able to to read this morning and and see these intertwined stories and watch these two people that were holding on to hope in a way that they thought would work in their lives and and yet you redefined hope for them. This morning, Lord, you've redefined hope for all of us, that hope is not just some wishful thing, 
It's a confidence in what you can and will do in our lives. That you are ultimately in control of our lives. And Lord, I just pray for, I'm sure, many people here today that need to kind of have an encounter with you. They need that space to just tell you the whole truth, tell you what's going on in their lives, to tell you not just a portion of the truth, but all of the truth, tell you about their fear, tell you about their loneliness, tell you about their rejection, tell you just their despair and their depression. And Lord, today as, as we share, we know that you want to speak and you want to work and there's something deeper inside of us that you are wanting to do. And so Lord, we give you permission to do that in our lives. And Lord, we pray for David and Melinda. I'm just so amazed at their faith and how their faith has come alive in this scenario where many people would be tempted to walk away from you. Lord, we pray for supernatural healing in her life. Lord, we pray that that she would receive a healing so that nobody could take credit for it but you, that it would point to you and you alone. And Lord, we know that you can heal through medicine. We know that you can heal supernaturally. And we know sometimes you have a plan that supersedes anything that we could ever understand. And so today we put our hope in you, trusting that you are going to work things out for them. You are going to work things out for us. You're the only one who can bring a good thing out of a bad thing. So Lord, today we sing about our living hope being Christ and Christ alone. In Jesus' name, amen.